HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd. Hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curtain. Hosted by Ann Saxelby. Broadcast live to the Cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby. My co-host and producer is Sophie Schlesinger. Hi, everybody. And uh, Jack Inslee and Carlos Salguero are holding it down in the booth, making sure technology works. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, so today's show, we are getting back to our, our, our series, which we've kind of abandoned as yeah, of late. State of Cheese. The State of Cheese. And we are pleased today to be talking about the State of Cheese in Oklahoma. Very exciting. Uh, we're going to have two ga- or two segments. On our first segment, we're going to have Susie Thompson and Steve Reynolds, uh, owners of Forward Foods, uh, which is an artisan cheese and food store in uh, Oklahoma City, and they just opened one in Norman. And then in our second segment, we're going to be talking with Matthew Birch, um, owner and, uh, and founder of Urban Agrarian, which is a, a small-scale distribution business designed to uh, connect uh, artisan foods to chefs and shops that buy them. Yep. Um, so before we get started, uh, Sophie has has uh, gleaned some fun facts about Oklahoma. Quick facts, yeah. So, okay, first uh, we'll do music. The state rock song is Flaming Lips, Do You Realize? Which That's I, so cool. Yeah, I think uh, we might play during the break. Um, Oklahoma is the 20th largest state in the U.S., covering an area of 69,898 square miles. So it's vast and pretty big. Um, it's the 27th most agriculturally productive state. It's the fifth in cattle production, which is probably not, not a surprise, and uh, fifth in production of wheat. Um, however, the state beverage is milk. Woohoo! Yeah. So, with further ado, without further ado, here <laughs> so, we go. Here we go. So now let's talk to some real people from Oklahoma. <laughs> Susie and Steve, are you with us? Hi, yeah. Hi, thank Hello. you guys so much for being on the show. Thanks for having us. It's such a treat. Oh, it is a treat for us. Yeah. I feel like, you know, the the Cosmos have aligned us in many ways before this as um, 
Caroline Denham, who was our former intern, used yep. to work with you guys, and Sasha Ingram, uh, now Sasha Anderson, is married to Mike Anderson, who works with us. I feel like the world is small and cheesy. Yes. <laughs> We've got our cheeselings off in the, in the universe. You sent them off <laughs> into the universe. <laughs> yeah. Well, so how did you both uh, wind up in cheese? Can we uh, talk a little bit about your background for just a second? Well, I had a, a sort of a food media background uh, living in New York for a number of years. I worked for Martha Stewart Living in for the Food Network, and um, I worked with cookbooks. Uh, and we returned to Oklahoma uh, for family, um, but the opportunity was just so ripe to do something different in food. So uh, we, we opened an organic cafe at first, and that sort of transitioned um, via little cheese pop-up sales into a full-scale uh, cheese shop uh, where we do have a full-service cheese counter. Um, and cheese is just, I mean, it's just so easy to pay. Once you think about doing uh, cheese, it's really easy to go with that because it's so wonderful and everyone loves it and it's easy to sell because everyone It, it speaks for itself. It, so. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Were you from Oklahoma originally or uh, is that uh, when you said you went back for family, did you grow up there? Yes. Okay. Both of us grew up here. Cool. Very cool. And, uh, and so is, is Steve on the line as well? I am. Oh, great. Okay. I, sorry. All of a sudden I was assuming and I was like, wait a second. I don't know <laughs> if I heard two voices or one. <laughs> so how did you get pulled into this whole cheese, cheese melee? Well, um, when we moved back, I started working at a bank and, um, and it just wasn't the ideal fit for me to work in a bank. It's a little stage there and, um, I feel a little, um, constricted there and, uh, <laughs> The idea of opening our own business uh, really appealed to me. That's really awesome. That's really yeah. awesome. So, and now you have two locations, is that correct? Yes. Our first location we opened about six years ago, and that, that was actually our Norman store. And then we opened our, um, but we were in the middle of moving that original location, like literally in the middle. Uh, wow. I'm watching movers as we speak. Um, <laughs> wow. And then we opened our Oklahoma City location uh, about a year and a half ago. Wow. So it must be doing pretty well. I mean, how, how did customers first uh, first react when you guys opened the store? Has there been kind of like a surge in cheese appreciation uh, in the area? I think definitely there has been. I mean, I've always felt that if you get, it doesn't matter how what kind of exposure people have to fine foods or, you know, quote unquote, whatever. If you get the product in their mouth and they taste how wonderful it is anyone is going to like it so we didn't have to be in a you know classically sophisticated uh, uh, area to attract a lot of fans and I feel like we've really uh, turned a lot of people on and people have been very receptive to um, our approach to selling cheese which is very sampling oriented very information oriented very friendly and not pretentious um, and uh which is a word I kind of hate to use, but you know what I <laughs> but mean. But it's so important. Um, I feel like, you know, a lot yes, of... I feel like they've been very receptive. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like a lot of, you know, um, you know, gourmet foods, quote unquote, can fall into the pretentious category in some way, shape or form. And it's so important to kind of make sure that that, that element is just absent. <laughs> yeah. It's got to be absolutely absent. And I think that that's, that was definitely an approach that we appreciated and definitely wanted to take, take along with us. So 
uh, that reducing the intimidation factor is key because when people walk up to a case full of unfamiliar items and they have to talk to someone and ask questions, it, it just is intimidating. I mean, it, I was intimidated the first time I went to a cheese shop and sure. had no idea what to ask. Um, so we just really try to engage customers in a friendly, easy way. And um, I think we're pretty successful at it. Yeah, I mean, I kind of had that thought when I first, when the first time I ever heard the name of your shop. I just think it's a really great name, like, instead of kind of using the organic, local, sustainable, compostable, whatever, yeah. grab bag of, of words. I like it. Forward. It came off the Wisconsin quarter, if you know the Wisconsin oh. state quarter. It, uh, the Wisconsin state logo is forward. It, it has a cow and a piece of cheese on it, and we just, and a banner that says forward, and that's that's where we got it. Well, that's so cool. I love it. I love yeah. that story. <laughs> no. I love state quarters, so because <laughs> I'm a dork. Well, that that's the the tie that binds us all yeah, together. Yeah, are we all? <laughs> so, can you tell us a little bit about your selection? Um, where, where do you source from? And can you tell us a little bit about the cheese making scene in Oklahoma? Is there a lot of good local dairy and, and cheese? You know. D- uh, it, Steve, if you want to jump in, feel free. I don't want to dominate the conversation. Okay. Well, um, on the cheese-making thing, uh, a lot of the cattle in Oklahoma, even though the state drink is milk, uh, a lot of the cattle is beef cattle here. And there's just a um, the infrastructure built and uh, the business built for uh, beef cattle is very strong in Oklahoma. Um, I don't know if it's because of the grain, um, the type of soil, but um, the Oklahoma City stockyards are the biggest stock, stockyards in America hmm. in, in terms of number of cattle that go through. And so um, the dairy cattle has kind of taken a back seat, and then um, most dairy cattle or dairy farmers uh, are with the, uh, are signed to the uh, consortium, is the, the, the ADA. And so uh, their cheese production is, if, they, if there is any, it's usually on um, um, mass market selection. Mm. Um, it's slowly changing. There's a, a fine sheep's blue producer in southern Oklahoma. Uh, there's in northern Oklahoma, there are a couple of farmers who are trying to do uh, different things. And uh, so it, it's slowly changing. There are, there are always people coming in and asking for rennet. And uh, so um, we're trying to help uh, foster cheesemakers here. We sponsored a, a cheesemaking competition at the state fair. And, uh, oh, wow, that's hoping, great. Uh, there will be more response to that. Tell us about that. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Cheesemaking competition at the state fair. Is that like where the 4-H, everyone puts out their, their cakes or their preserves? You, you did the same with cheeses? Yeah, that um, we the first year was pretty uh, minimal, <laughs> um, but we did we put out the biggest prize was for a naturally rinded cheese mm-hmm. just to try to get people out of the uh, block cheddar. Um, rut <laughs> that you know there's perfectly good block cheddars out there but um so the second one the first one we just did was sort of a test run and uh we didn't have a whole lot of participation in it so we're hoping that the next year we really kind of have learned what we need to do to get the get the word out to um you know farmstead cheesemakers and um, and wannabe oh, cheesemakers uh, who just need the push in the right yeah, direction. Yeah. They need the, yeah. Some so prize we were, money. That's why we had the biggest award for a naturally aged 
cheese and, uh, you know, to kind of try to make that award enticing to really sort of kickstart things. And now and hopefully I, that'll happen. Yeah, that would be very exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would. And Susie, now I'm looking at an article that you sent me last week that's actually about a monastery in Oklahoma uh, where they're making cheese. Do you guys know anything about that? I tried to find some more information, but it seems pretty, like they're pretty... Uh, Cloistered? Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> that's, that's been my experience. I haven't, I haven't, um, they're really, they're hours and hours away from us. They're in the yeah. opposite end of the state from us. Um, I haven't had a whole lot of luck getting information, but I probably could try harder. But I've heard people tell me that their cheese is really good, but they only buy it from them, and they have events right. um, at their monastery where they sell it, and that's where people have gone to get it. So I'm really intrigued because, uh, from what I understand, it's sheep milk, Gouda-style um, and I, I do love the sheep milk, so I, yeah. I want to try to, to get more information. It's just been tricky. Yeah, yeah. That's sure. really interesting. Do you know what, what order of monks they are or anything like that? I don't. I'm sorry. Oh, no, that's no, okay. Yeah. Now I'm just like, I don't know, the monks. They just like pop up <laughs> in the strangest places. <laughs> like there's monks in Kentucky, the they monks of Jessamani. That doesn't narrow it down. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's really fascinating. Um, well, I know. Uh, so, and you also, so you're educating people, obviously, in your store by giving them taste. You're educating people at the state fair by exposing them to this idea that there could be yeah. natural rinded cheeses. And then um, I know that you also do some you, some classes in education at the store. Could you tell us a little bit more about uh, the programs that you guys offer at the shop? Absolutely. Um, what we do is uh, uh, we have a cheese and wine classes. Sorry, I'm moving away from the movers. Um, <laughs> uh, we have cheese and wine classes who... Uh, uh, taught by our education coordinator Bailey, who's really, really fantastic, and uh, we all we all participate in the classes to a certain extent. But she's really taken it on, and every class sells out. We have uh, cheese and beer pairings, um, which which Steve actually handles at a local pub, um, and then we do cheese and wine. We do cheese and uh, yeah, we had a request for non-alcoholic pairings, um, and we have focused. Uh, country classes, you know, cheeses of Portugal or um, And cheese Vermont. 101 classes as and, well. Yeah, and the cheese 101, which always are very popular. So uh, those seat about 24 people per class, and we fill them up, and people have a good time, and it's been a really good way to educate uh, people about it. And we get a, an opportunity to make them taste what we want them to taste, because we yeah. get to pick the cheeses, and uh, that's also a, a nice thing. It introduces people to some of the more handmade cheeses that we might have a hard time selling just from the case. Get people away from the the black cheddar a little bit, just into into more adventurous stuff. And I like the idea of of doing uh, the beer and cheese at a bar instead of like, a lot of times here it's in a more formal setting, like a restaurant or, you know, a A private space. Yeah, but just do it at the bar. That's that's good. Simple, effective. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Um, 
So, uh, and uh, actually, this is Sophie's question, but I'm going to read it because it's right here. Um, and uh, <laughs> she said you're very active on Twitter, which, you know, I'm still trying to figure out. I'm like such a dork. I, I don't even know <laughs> the half of what goes on on Twitter. But um, how do you think Twitter uh, affects your business? And um, do you guys, uh, you know, uh, really sort of use that and other, um, you know, Facebook and the rest to kind of keep people posted about what you're doing at the shop? Oh, yes, uh, definitely. Um, it, it's a great way to, to let people know. I mean, you know, you just, it's, I was at American Cheese Society when uh, you and were uh, talking about uh, your weekly emails that you sit down uh, and, and send out. And it's just, uh, it's just kind of like that, but in briefer forms. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just, it's a great, quick way to, to get your idea out to, you know, thousands of people. Yes. And, and, you know, Facebook is the same. Um, and also the interactions on Twitter, I mean, it's, it makes it easier for people to find out if we have something in stock. And, uh, and it's just a, it's a way to let people know you're responsive to, uh, to customers' needs and, and, and wants. That's actually an interesting aspect of it. The fact that, um, you know, if it, 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 it is like a very interactive thing, you know, if you don't, if you're creating that dialogue, if, if yeah. um, it's, it's a lot different than just putting an email out there because yeah, people do ask questions in real time and, and expect to get answers and it's uh it's just a really useful thing. Yeah. Sophie's been, <laughs> Sophie's taken over our Twitter because <laughs> I, <laughs> I've given up. <laughs> She's really good at it. <laughs> well, um, it is, it really is a, it's a valuable resource to, uh, and it's easy and quick. And, yeah. and also we can connect pretty easily with other cheese shops. I mean, our, uh, the people we follow are people in the cheese business, so I like to keep our kind of timeline or whatever it is sort of simple and things that we might want to retweet to our customers who are wanting to know about cheese. And um, we're not, like, retweeting every compliment our customers give us. We're <laughs> retweeting things that I think our customers will actually be interested in <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. rather than just a, hey, you guys are great, sort of, you know, repeating that. I don't but think which is always really, really nice to hear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, but it's 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 fun to kind of I think it keeps the industry sort of connected too. So I like that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, speaking of Twitter, can you um, give us your Twitter handle and and your website so people can find out more about the shop? Absolutely, <laughs> it's at Forward Foods. F O R W A R D F O O D S. Okay. And the. Uh, uh, website is forwardfoods.com. Forwardfoods.com. Right. And it is a very cute, beautifully designed website. Yeah, it, it really Thank is. Thank you. Yeah. We have a very talented graphic, graphic designer friend who saves us. <laughs> that's, that's a, hey, you got to have one of those up yeah. your sleeve. Absolutely. <laughs> well, best of luck with your move into the new space. It sounds like things are going along just yeah. beautifully. <laughs> I know, I'm kind of wondering why that person won't stop thinking. <laughs> it's good. No, it's, it's, it's progress. Like, yeah, progress. Yeah. Things are happening. <laughs> but um, yeah, thank you guys so much for taking time out to be on the show. And Our pleasure. We hope to have you back on for a future episode. We'd we'll love do, it. We'll thank do. you. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Do you 
Today's program was brought to you by Fairway Market. Whether you are cooking for one or for a crowd, Fairway Market literally has everything you need for a fantastic meal. But if you don't feel like cooking, no worries. They cater. Check out fairwaymarket.com for more information. And be sure to check the new blog, On Our Plate, for weekly specials, health tips, and recipes. And we are back. <laughs> so dramatic. I'm cutting today. the curd. I know. So dramatic. That's such a great song. Yeah. Who knew? Flaming Lips are from Oklahoma. That's yeah. great. <laughs> um, so we are cutting the curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby. My co host and uh, producer is Sophie Schlesinger. And our second guest is uh, Matthew Birch, who is the owner and founder of a company called Urban Agrarian, which is a distribution company um, designed to get foods from small producers to the chefs and shops that love them. Um, uh, Matt, are you on the line with us? Uh, here I am, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, so you are the missing link. I feel yeah. like we've been talking about your job description for the past year and a half, yep. two years, and I just it's don't a know. Sweet gig. <laughs> I think it comes up in every show. It comes almost. up in every show. It does. Everyone's like, but the distribution network is missing. So yeah. tell us a little bit about your business and how the heck you decided to do what you do. Um. Well, uh, I started about four years ago. It's coming up on four years. And I had been working in restaurants and in produce sections and on farms, just kind of slowly learning, you know, the, the, the bigger picture. And when I moved back from Savannah, Georgia to Oklahoma City, I knew that I wanted to try to, you know, make a go of, of having some sort of local food distributorship. So I bought an old Frito-Lay truck, you know, a step van uh, that was converted to run on waste vegetable oil. So I was able to keep my costs low, and I just kind of started there, uh, running routes to farms, uh, making deliveries, and and it's grown from there. Over the course of four years, you know, we've still got the veggie van, we've got run, uh, a cargo van that runs on natural gas, and we recently um, were able to get into a brick-and-mortar space that's got a certified kitchen on site, it's got cold storage, we've got a little market up front, and loading docks to uh, come in and out, you know, uh, with receiving and and deliveries. Holy moly. Brilliant. So yeah. from, from a Frito-Lay truck bought secondhand to a brick-and-mortar space with a prep area and loading docks, that's pretty impressive. So would you say to anybody else trying to get into this business that there is, in fact, a way to make it work financially and, and uh, you know, and make a go of it? You sh- yeah. I think, um, you know, we were capital lean, still are. So we found ways, A, sweat equity, you know, be, be ready for some long hours. But I think it's the same way no matter what kind of entrepreneurial venture you get into. Yeah. And B, um, the more you can find your essential infrastructure on Craigslist and at auctions and secondhand as opposed to, you know, trying to shop showroom floor, um, you're going to give yourself a lot better shot. Now, um, for you guys, what's been the biggest uh, um, the biggest challenge with regards to infrastructure? Has have there been any things that you you guys find vital that have been hard to find uh, that you could you know give our listeners some insight on? Um, I think the tricky part is just matching supply with demand. Mm-hmm. When you put yourself in that position to tell a chef or or anyone that you know I'm I'm a supplier of local foods. Um, you've kind of got responsibilities on both the supply side um, and the demand side. You know, you're kind of working with farmers to get certain crops planted and to estimate 
how much of, of a certain product you would want or need. Um, and then on, you know, on, on the other side, you've got to kind of communicate, give a clear vision to the purchasers what the supply line looks like, what the quantity yeah. looks like. Um, you know, it's like grass-fed beef. Okay, we're going to put this on the menu. We want to run ribeye steaks. And, you know, you, you've got to be able to give them some idea of for how long they'll be able to do this volume or, or if it's beets or, you know, fresh produce. Um, you know, if someone is going to make a commitment to put something on a menu or carry it in a store, uh, that's been one of the hang-ups that we have have had just through the course of this is it's like sometimes we'll have a ton of a product and we get out there and we push it, push it, push it because we know that it's okra season. Right. Um, well, occasionally we do really well and we kind of outstrip our own supply. And then mm. we're kind of left there going, huh. Yeah. <laughs> so so that's, that's the tricky part is this isn't a bunch of T-shirts sitting on a warehouse shelf somewhere. You know, and it's and it's a lot of it's a lot of relationships. You know, the small family farms, local farmers, as well as this kind of diverse group of people who want to purchase local food. Absolutely, it's a lot of relationships to manage. Um, and uh, can you tell us a little bit about your your network? How many farms did you start out with? Um, how many do you work with now? Uh, what kind of range of products do you carry? I know you said produce, obviously, and and um, and meat, but are there other the products range. you carry as well? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, meats, cheeses, dairy, you know, yogurt, um, a, a lot of different types of fresh produce. Um, and then we work really closely with Earth Elements, which is a local food processing kitchen. So they do a lot of jams, jellies, relishes, stewed tomatoes, as well as prepared foods like pizzas that down to the crust are local ingredients. Oklahoma mm. whole wheat topped with, you know, a homemade uh, tomato or pesto sauce, topped with local cheese, and then whatever toppings so um you know fresh baked breads really the gamut of uh of, of products that you would be used to finding in a grocery store um we get our hands on a lot of it's seasonal so it comes in and out um i think at last count we've dealt with about 84 local food operations everything from apiaries to ranches to farms to you know folks like i mentioned earth elements that do value added or uh you know, prepared foods utilizing local ingredients. Wow. Wow. That's really, really yeah. cool. We need like a hundred more of these throughout the country. I know. I like. Do you take interns if people yeah. wanted to come and work for you for free? Would you uh, give them a hint as to how to start this kind of business in the Northeast or in the South or in the West? Oh, I'd, I'd love it. Yeah. I'd be all about it. And I think that uh, I'd probably learn some things as well. You know, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't come into this with a PhD in local food distribution, you know, just kind of a passion for it. And yeah. there are so many people uh, who have those, though. That's yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. So, yeah, we, we just need to get all these kids with the PhDs in local food distribution <laughs> to join up with us, and I think we'll, I think we'll be good. We solved it. Yeah. We're done. <laughs> One of my um, favorite parts um, it really is the fact that we started with this truck that runs on waste vegetable oil, and we are continuing to find ways to utilize that resource and to, you know, we're getting into uh, creating biodiesel out of the grease as opposed to just running it straight. Mm -hmm. I really love that part of the infrastructure. You know, it's just, it's like the icing on the cake. It's the cherry on top. Yeah. How? The fact that we're doing all this and it's, and we're utilizing this waste product to fuel the operation. Which could yeah. be a huge, you know, that's a huge expense. Fuel is a yeah. huge expense. So massive. 
I mean, yeah. I actually, I think you just hit on something huge there because anyone who's thinking about starting a distribution business, you know, obviously the, the, the truck is, is a big expense, but then the gas is probably, yeah. you know, the bigger going concern. Yeah, the gas will get you more than the truck. You can look on Craigslist. I don't care what town you live in. There's old diesels. You know, a lot of these commercial vehicles that were used in the early 90s, early to mid 90s are just sitting around that, you know, there aren't a ton of people that have use for a 24-foot Frito-Lay truck. So the value <laughs> of purchasing that thing, you know, you'd be surprised at how cheaply you can purchase that large a piece of equipment. Right. Um, it's, it's after that. It's, it's keeping it on the road. You know, it's, it's the 10 miles per gallon that, that yeah. tear into you pretty good. Absolutely. So can you tell, can you delve into that a little bit more? Because mm-hmm. my, my uh, grease refining knowledge is little to none. <laughs> yeah. um, how do you guys go about um, converting this vegetable oil into biodiesel? I didn't even know there was a difference. Yeah. So, so yeah. So waste vegetable oil, you can run through a diesel engine. Uh, it requires some heaters, you know, to kind of make the, the grease a little more thin. You pre-warm it before it goes into the engine, but that works just fine. What that requires is a secondary tank and some other pumps and kind of this secondary fuel delivery system. Mm -hmm. But what you can do is you can take grease and add uh, a methanol. Basically, you're going to do some pretty simple chemistry, um, and you're going to agitate waste vegetable oil with a methanol solution, and you're going to end up with glycerol, which is, uh, you know, a basic ingredient for soap making, and biodiesel. That's kind of... You know, the short version. You're going to throw these things into a, into a tank. You're going to agitate. You can find um, simple biodiesel processors online, a lot of different places, and, and look into it. We were able to get ours from a local restaurateur. He sold it to me for a song. I love the guy. <laughs> um, and, and so we, we need to build a little shed to house this thing. And, um, and then we're going to be doing, instead of just filtering the grease and using that, we'll be legitimately making biodiesel. That be is a whole new evolution. Yeah. That is so cool. Yeah. And I never took chemistry in high school. <laughs> Somehow I managed to escape without it. So that was <laughs> that was very interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do suggest that you like find a chemist because some of this is uh you know, you want to ventilate. I mean, it's not um it's not tinker toys. I mean, you yeah. you can hurt yourself. You could uh cause a probably large fire Um, (laughs) you know it's it's not it's not something that you just kind of dive in on day one which is one of the reasons that we've been slow to move to that but um if you do have a chemist and somebody that knows uh what they're talking about it's it's pretty simple on the grand scheme of things wow so now you've got your truck you've got it full of biodiesel you've made yourself how do you route your yeah pickups and deliveries um, you know, it's kind of as simple as using Google Maps, you know, just having these relationships with the farmers. You kind of cluster them into kind of a regional group. I mean, regional on a much smaller scale than we'd normally use the term. But, um, you know, so, so we'll have a, a north, northeast route. Up around Tulsa, Oklahoma is what they call green country. So there's a lot of good agricultural land up there. And you'll just kind of go up there and make a big loop and pick up from everybody that you need to, head back home, and that's your Monday route. And then maybe you got... You have a south route, a south loop for Tuesday, and an east route for Wednesday. And you just play with um, different ways of running those routes and making them work. Wow. wow. And that sort of thing is actually a lot more efficient than if they all drove that into the city. You know, you take the yeah. comparison, even if I was using normal diesel, uh, you take the comparison of you know me starting in Oklahoma City, running this route, picking up from, say, 8 to 10 food producers, and coming back to the city. 
as compared to all eight to ten of them coming to Oklahoma City, making their deliveries, and sitting heading in traffic. Home. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's really that's really amazing. That is so cool. Yeah, I yeah. <laughs> we need to find some people and come yeah. come yeah. hang out with you and learn and learn about this. Uh, we really do <laughs> this business. It's a really cool <laughs> model. Um, well, if people want to learn more about your business, we always run out of time too quickly on this show. But how do you have a website? Do you have a um, yeah? Urbanagrarian.com is uh, is our home website. We're pretty active on Facebook and Twitter, um, and and those three would be, I think, the, the main ways online to to reach us and communicate with us, or just kind of take a cursory view of what what we do on a daily basis. Fantastic. And is there anything else you want to tell our listeners that, that we forgot to ask you? Because I'm sure there are like 5 million questions that we forgot to ask you. <laughs> uh, well, I thought we were going to go into a whole bunch of cheese. And I will tell you that there is, if anybody, if any of your listeners come to Oklahoma, you've got to go to Swan Dairy in Claremore. It's a, it's a dairy. It's a pasture-based dairy that started in 1923 thereabouts with one cow. And now it's a, you know, it's, it's a nice operation, pasture and dairy on site with a small market. And they've got some really amazing cheese. Swan, cool. Swan, Swan Dairy, Dairy Swan Brothers Dairy in Claremore, Oklahoma. Swan Brothers Dairy, Claremore, Oklahoma. Thanks yeah. for the tip. Yeah. Well, Absolutely. you you are an inspiration. It's been really fun to yeah. talk with you and hear your passion and all about what you're doing. And, and I just feel like, you know. The missing link. You're the missing link. Thank you. I'm so <laughs> glad we found you. <laughs> hey, thanks a lot for having me on. It was great fun. All right. Well, we'll Anytime. <laughs> we will be back next Monday with another episode of Cutting the Curd here on the Heritage Radio Network. Bye. Have a good day, ladies. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening Thanks to for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. Hosted you can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.